You're listening to The Agile CTO, a podcast geared toward technology professionals, disruptors, and thought leaders. This show will aim to cover industry trends, new technologies, the life of a CTO, building dev culture, stories from some of today's leading CTOs, and so much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Agile CTO podcast. We've got a bit of a departure from our usual format today. We've done one of these before where we had a chat with our MD and CEO, Alan Hayfully, about outsourcing. Today, we're going to be doing something very similar to that, but we're going to be chatting about Agile itself. And obviously, that's very topical to us and very important to us here at the Agile CTO and at Hayfully Software. As usual, with me today is my partner in crime, Guy Coleman. Guy, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Harley. Thanks for thanks for the intro. Yeah, so we're going to try something different with this, uh, with as Harley mentioned, with this podcast to do a roundtable, and we're calling it a roundtable. And effectively, what that means is we're going to try and avoid a interview style discussion, have a more open, dis, you know, communication, and just talk about some of the things we've experienced in the world of agile. So last week, I suppose I don't know when it, this podcast would come out, but uh, one of the previous podcasts we spoke to an agile coach named Peter Hundemark, and he's quite opinionated around how agile should work and and what and some of the things that he experienced. So, I'd like us to talk about how we experience agile as a company, uh, and and how we approach these things. And with us today, joining this discussion is Jonathan Barmer, our delivery director, and also a Scrum master, also a passionate agile practitioner. And he's going to help us muddle through how we experience the world of agile. Jonathan, do you want to introduce yourself and? Cool. Thanks, uh, thanks, Guy. Thanks, Ollie, for the introduction or brief introduction. I must say, I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed that I'm only on the podcast on episode 14, episode 15. I was actually thinking you guys probably grabbed me for the first five, but yeah, I am. Top 20, I'll, I'll take that at least. Cool. So uh, in terms of, in terms of uh, my role and kind of my journey with Agile, I think the first kind of introduction I had with it was probably in my second or third year. When's that? 2013, 2014. I think I was in an operations management class where they chatted about or we went through a module around the different project delivery methodologies. So talking about Agile, talking about XP, talking about uh, waterfall models. That was kind of like my first introduction to what it is, but that's mostly theoretical. Didn't know what the hell it actually meant. Fast forward a couple of years, I started working for a, a consumer-based company called uh, Binu. It's now called Data Free. And that was my first B2C uh, business I worked for. And we pretty much, without knowing, kind of practice Agile quite religiously. We would do frequent releases. We will build multiple applications at the same time, push it out, and actually check which one of them sticks within the market, right? So we definitely... Yeah, from a delivery perspective and um, continuous feedback loop and closed feedback loop, we were quite out there. Yeah, so then just in terms of my quickly role around here, so I just help uh, our current business analyst, analyst within the business kind of with the whole career and progression. There's about seven or eight of us. Yeah, so also look after the delivery of all of our projects, just basically seeing that we are following kind of our Hayfley standard in terms of how we do our delivery. Um, yeah, that's kind of it. And a key part of that delivery is obviously agile and the methodologies to support that. So we've all we've all had our own 
experiences with agile and we probably all have our own definition of agile so maybe let's that's a good starting point for us here so to maybe go around the table and just you know tell us a bit what do you think as an individual is the definition of agile holly do you want to start sure yeah so for me i think without getting too much into the manifesto and kind of the guidelines i would say it's just a very simple iterative like jonah said short feedback loop approach to software delivery and agile being the key word to not be abstracted from what the actual definition of agile itself is to be flexible to be able to rapidly adjust kind of the analogy that always sticks in my mind or the metaphor is kind of water in uh, running it down a river right it's always heading for the sea and the sea is always the goal but if suddenly there's more rocks or there's a tree that falls and blocks the way it's going to adapt its path to still kind of find its way to the scene. And that's how I kind of see agile and that approach to software. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jono, you want to jump in with your, with your. Yeah, discussion? sure. I'm yeah. Holly focusing on the adaptability. Um, I'm probably, that's probably my definition as well, right? Like if there's any change upcoming that the team is quickly able to adapt or the business to whatever the problem is or the goal of that particular company. I would say probably another one part of that is just ensuring that there's full collaboration and transparency between the team members and, and the whole business. I think that's usually where the first breakdown is when it comes to agile. But yeah, I would probably say that's that's kind of my go-to definition yeah i think for myself i agree with both of you and and it's it's quite abstract in that notion right in the sense that agile is really just about being able to adapt to change quickly and cheaply and embracing that change when it occurs right and and how flexible you are as a business will depend on how mature you are in your agile uh, sort of adoption right and yeah, and of course we're talking about all sorts of different. We're not even talking about the 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 implementations of agile or the ways to achieve an agile adoption. Jono, maybe maybe I think let's 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 look at some of the the challenges that you see in some of our clients, right? And some of the things that you see when trying to manage delivery of of agile or in, in, implement agile within these organizations. Maybe do you think that the adoption of agile or the the thinking around an agile software delivery process is prevalent or is it something that we are continuously needing to coach and explain so i would say it is still something we need to coach on and explain to to customers but compared to maybe four or five years ago it is a lot better i do think clients probably the majority of our clients on the initial engagement do understand agile to to a certain degree where before they had no clue of what it actually is so I must say there is definitely a trend towards the, the market understanding Agile better, but yeah, it, it's, still a, it's still a long way to go, but we are getting there. I think something i just like to throw in into the kind of the, the machine before we go further down our approach to Agile and the pitfalls that we see and stuff like that. So yeah, if, if you're not aware, Agile CTO is pretty much us here at Hayfelly Software. I've been here for... For just over four years, and John and Guy have been here for a bit longer than that. That, and I've been around and helped implement a lot of different changes from technical to more softer skills within the company. But one thing that's always been here has been agile. So maybe a question for the two of you: Why do we do agile? Was it just the de facto? Did we trial anything before I kind of hopped on board? Because I get most developers these days go, okay, cool, agile is the only thing they know, right? Especially people with under five, six years of experience. So, but Hayfleet Software has been around for 15 years. 
So what did it look like before? And was Agile always kind of the solution? I don't know if you guys can answer that, but it's something we've never spoken about. Yeah, I can I can give some insights to that. So probably roughly around when I started, maybe yeah, about five, six years ago, I would say we, we were probably 50% Agile, 50% fixed cost waterfall mythology. And going down that line, comparing the two, two projects with Agile, you could see the one project was doing way better than the other one. Like where we had with the fixed cost project, like you were providing less frequent value. You were building stuff that might not have been relevant to the client because your feedback loop is so, so long. There were challenges around if the business changed priority or the business changes focus, what does that mean for the, for the project? So if we're with Agile, if there's any change to the project or the, the goal of the business, it's okay. It's actually welcomed because your focus is to provide uh, the most value that you can. But if you stick to this documents and or fixed costs, you basically working towards something that might have been uh, identified six months ago, a year ago, that's no longer relevant at that stage. So yeah, hopefully that gives you some insight. Guy, I don't know if you, you've got a bit more experience on that front. Well, I would probably just echo something that one of our guests said the other day. And there are models that are not agile that can work, right? Uh, agile is great if if you have a project where you don't know a lot about the, the thing you're building at the beginning of the project, right? But if you are in a situation, and personally, and this guest also never experienced this, where a project is well-known and super well-documented and you have exactly what you, you need in order to build the solution and everything is in place and the, the, the building blocks are just there to be built, but then we know those building blocks exactly and there is no expectation of change, then Agile is not necessarily the right approach, right? Then something like a previous, uh, well, something that's been around for 30 to 50 years is like the waterfall model of building software, right? And that is, we know the requirements, we know the roadmap, we know the milestones, we know what needs to be done, we've estimated it, we've spent a significant amount of money building the plan to build the software, and we can just get on with it, right? And that can work. But that is not the norm. The norm is nothing is well known, things change daily, weekly, monthly. And in projects like that, Agile is is definitely the right way to go or, or some variation, right? So Agile is based on other things like Lean and XP, and it's built on top of those concepts. But right now, Agile, I think is the de facto standard for building complicated systems. Yeah, I think it's, it's tricky, Guy, because where you can do your upfront analysis it's, and kind of do more waterfall approach is probably more with a uh, B2B application where you, the business already established what the business logic looks like. So you can really document that. And it's not really something that will change on a monthly or weekly basis. Where something like a B2C application, should, you, you do need to have short feedback cycles there. Like every two weeks or every four weeks, you do a release, you get feedback from the clients in terms of what they actually need and start building it. But yeah, I agree that Agile isn't always the way to go. Maybe like a, a hybrid between the two. If you've already got your scope defined up front and you know for a fact it's not going to change, then sure. It's just tricky because if you go down a pure waterfall model, you might not provide any value until you do your last release, which, which can take months. So if you can maybe just find a sweet spot, maybe do a, 
uh, MVP release after the first two months and then maybe the initial phase one or phase two release after four months. Sure, it's maybe not full agile, but you are providing a bit more frequent value. Yeah, thanks for that, guys. And that kind of, so we've spoken about giving our listeners some context as to why we use agile and you know it's not like we just went okay it's a de facto like you said we were kind of working in both waterfall or fixed cost and agile and kind of decided that was the way and we also spoke about the jono answered guys question of that agile literacy is getting a, a lot easier and it is more common but i think all of us with me being practice lead and guy you, you technical director and johnny delivery director we're all have overlap with clients and are often working with our teams as well to kind of increase that knowledge so on the on the client aspect maybe Jono, because it's probably a lot more in your domain right now what are some of the i don't know the pitfalls that you're seeing there or the issues with clients that maybe aren't as literate in agile as you know the the clients that you mentioned are i think usually the biggest challenge is well the biggest question is probably how much is it going to cost or when is it going to be done right so that is something you can't answer going down the agile route or down the waterfall route. It, it doesn't really matter because the thing is, I think the actual problem is software can't really be estimated to a sense. Sure, you can do some, some level of estimation and get quite close, but I think it's extremely difficult to do that. So, Do you feel that's true for waterfall? I, yes, depending on the team, guys. So if the team has worked together for a decent amount of time, if the team has got a decent amount of domain, they're well aligned with the tech stack and everyone is kind of on the same page, then, then sure. But all in all, I do think software is almost impossible to estimate. And I've seen, I've seen cases now where people will basically do I mean, I've been part of it as well. We basically grab a bunch of people in a room, a developers, come up with an hourly estimate or day estimate and times it by three and go, cool, roughly, this is what the gut feel was, but we're just going to time, times it by three to ensure that we don't miss anything or, or scope growth. Add some fat. Yeah, we used to call it that. Add some fat, right? Exactly. So a, a better way in which we're doing now is we'll, we'll relay some form of estimate upfront, right? So... That's done via, we'll probably send an analyst. That analyst will spend maybe five or 10 days to identify like a high level backlog, let's say 70 or 80 stories. We'll then use our past metrics across all of our projects with an fleet to actually identify how long it's gonna to take to actually complete that set of stories or set of backlog items. So let's say, yeah, and that's, that's worked out with the, the average throughput of stories on all of our projects. It is not, pure science or um and it's like i'm sure there's a lot of statisticians out there and data scientists that will kind of freak out a little bit but it's been quite accurate i must say like we probably within like a 20 to 30 percent range in terms of the estimates so it, it does take a while to get to a position where you can actually estimate a project and you can't estimate a project at the beginning of a project you can only do it a couple of weeks a couple of months down the line as you as you get closer to the end of the kind of uncertainty yeah you sort of you sort of touched on something there around the estimation so usually the people asking for estimations and costs are c level the the people that are that are holding the purse strings that are deciding on the budget that are that are making decisions as to whether or not they want to build a piece of software or engage with the provider like us to build software for them right and obviously that's the right questions to ask is like how much is this going to cost and how long is this going to take those are 
fair questions and we need to be able to answer those questions, right? So all these estimation strategies and and uh, methods of, of getting close to an answer are, are fantastic. But do you think there is something systemic there? So what I'm what I'm alluding to is sort of buy-in around agile in an, on an organizational level, right? Do you feel that it, do you think that agile is just for the development team? So like it's just a way to build software that and it's just for the scrum master and the dev team and they are doing agile where the rest of the business doesn't have to worry about that and they can continue to ask for things like when and how much and we just have to figure that out. Or do you think there is a systemic way to solve that from a from a business agile perspective yeah that's that's a good question so there's usually there can be a disjoint between the business and the development team right if if the development team is operating an agile agile framework but the, the business is still operating a fixed cost framework it's going to introduce a shit ton of challenges do i think that agile is kind of like a safety bubble for the development team no i, I don't but the, the business will see it that way if they don't operate in that manner, right? And if they don't understand what the challenges are around it and the benefits of it. So if the business wants to build something and they want it to be built as first as possible, as quick as possible, then they need to understand it needs to be delivered in an agile manner. So from a business perspective, they can't have the benefits of agile where it's fast delivery, fast feedback loop, and still want the benefits of or the pro of fixed costs where it's already defined upfront and the costing is already known what and the timing. So that is that is not possible to do. Okay. So I'd, I'd like to jump in here and maybe give my perspective on Agile. If you read the manifesto, none of it really speaks to the tech side of it, right? It's not saying giving like tech jargon. It's more just a philosophy and it happens to be was created by developers for developers and that's where it's been mostly adopted but if you think about it at least in my mind i might be completely wrong here but software while it is an incredibly technical entity itself is still built by people and businesses as well as like you know as big as say nike or facebook looks it's still just people behind it at the end of the day and that's how i perceive agile to be an approach to help people improve and thus the whatever their delivery is, whether it be technical or whether it be on the business side of things, it just helps improve that and increase the delivery or better estimate the delivery. And I think a lot of people that really enjoy Agile and adopt Agile, and I know, John, if you want to speak about this, but you recently had a wedding and you used like an Agile approach to planning that. Otherwise, you know, it gets crazy. And I've done the same with a lot of personal things in, in my life. Now, I'm not going as crazy to having retros and demos and stuff like that but just having that kind of iterative approach to whatever project it is that you're working on i think that's the important part here is that it's very difficult for a business managing people uh, whatever approach whether it's you know agile or not to then have an agile team because it's kind of like you you're not you're not foster, uh, like fostering that type of approach and that type of expectations of people yeah so so i think it's easy for us to conflate the process, the the thing you do to support agile and and agile as a philosophy. I think that's very easy to do. And I think a lot of people uh, fall into that. Oh, agile is scrum or agile is Kanban, 
right? And if you're not doing one of those things, you're not agile. So to Harley's point, exactly, right? Agile is is simply this. Like, like I, I've, we we spoke about this in the previous po- previous podcast, but I think it's worth reading the manifesto, right? Just the four bullet points of the manifesto, and just reminding ourselves a little bit about what 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 agile is actually saying. Without going into the twelve principles, it's literally just individuals and interactions over processes and tools, right? Working software over comprehensive documentation customer collaboration over contract negotiation and responding to change over following a plan. And at the end of that, it says, while there is value in the items on the right, we value the items on the left more, right? So in other words, it's not saying there is no process and tools. It's not saying there isn't comprehensive documentation. It's not saying there isn't contract negotiation or a plan. It just means that we favor individuals and interactions, working software, customer collaboration and responding to change. And I think that's that's important to remember that when 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 talking about agile in the sense of a client environment right where where we're talking about buy-in right where we're saying that oh no the dev team does agile but we need to know exactly what we need to know when we need to know we need that plan right now so part of the deal is to educate the customer on no no we don't need the plan right we need to accept that there's going to be change and we're going to talk to you all along the way. And at whatever cadence we set, you're going to have a window into your world, right? And how it, whatever the process is, you're going to be able to make decisions around the trajectory of your solution. At any given point in time, you'll know how much you're spending, how much is left to build, and where we are right now, right? So it's, it's, it's basically that. And also getting out of the developer's way, letting the dev team use whatever process suits them. Like Jono, for your, in your case, for your wedding, you used presumably some sort of scrum methodology to kind of track your process, right? And that's cool. Some people might not, some people would do something else. But ultimately, I think that's what we're talking about, right? Is the agile philosophy as opposed to the implementation? Because I don't know if you can implement a process at a business scale to solve some of these problems. So maybe let's look at another pitfall, right? potentially that we have found right so what about individuals and organization when you're when you're when you're coaching a customer to adopt an agile way of working what sort of people do you encounter what sort of personalities do you encounter along the way right so i think one of the the stumbling blocks is you 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 receive resistance from people who feel they may not need to change the way they do Mm. things we're happy with the way we do things why do we need to do this We've done this for 20 years in one way. Now we need to change. What do you say to those? What do you say to those businesses? It's tricky, right? Because I think every every business is a lot different compared to the other ones. Like in terms of where they sit, in terms of maturity, being agile maturity, or the way they work internally in terms of the business logic and yeah, how the business operates. So in in terms of relaying to them or what we say to them on how to adopt Agile and how to move forward is explaining to them what the benefits are of Agile. Being what, and I mean, you've touched upon actually a few of those values already, again, like responding to change. So when you encounter, so okay, let me, let me pose it in a different way. So when, when an organization moves to adopt a new way of doing things, right, a natural reaction from some might be to resist that change, right? After all, aren't they doing their jobs well enough? right now, right? Why should we adopt a new way of, of approaching software development, right? How can we help them to shift their thinking towards a better approach potentially than what they're used to? Yes, so the resistance is very little, to be honest. Like I'm, 
I'm seeing less and less resistance about implementing Agile within an organization. What do you think are some of the things we can do to remove some of that resistance around or move some of the resistance away or to put people at ease in adopting an Agile way of doing things as opposed to ex- ex- doing what they were doing? It's not a test. <laughs> There's no right answer here. Check, like... To reduce the resistance, it just comes to education, right? And like upskilling people and informing them what the benefits are of, of this way of working. Explaining to them that it's better to do vertical slices and compared to doing horizontal slices, right? It's better to provide frequent customer value or end user value. If the resistance check, resistance is probably for, let's take a scenario for a bigger company let's say, or a corporate environment. Resistance is always going to be the finance department because they need to raise a, a purchase order or PO to sign off that particular budget and they need to be able to provide the description of where that budget needs to go towards and it needs to be quite detailed. So I think that's kind of where the resistance sits within a corporate environment. Right. They're, they're used to dealing with suppliers who can give them fixed in estimates, right, or quotes to do things yes and i and i think like they're confusing software well let's put it this way why can people estimate building houses and construction and buildings versus building software why why is it that we take myself personally of of myself as an example if i've got a a supplier that needs to do something at my house i'm going to do it fixed cost Right. So, so why is that? Why am I going down the fixed cost route? Because I'm scared that there's going to be a budget overrun. I'm scared that they might be building the wrong thing. I don't trust that individual. So how do you get to a point where you don't overrun too much? You trust the individual. How do you get to that point? Well, geez, that's a tough question to answer. I guess for me, the answer would be Okay, well, in, in, a, in a building your home environment, it's, it's kind of different, right? In the sense that you know the building blocks involved, right? You know that you're going to need tiles for your roof. You know you're going to need bricks for the walls. You know you're going to need paint, and you can measure all of those things, and you can get a bill of materials, and you can know exactly how much it's going to cost. And you can work out this person lays one brick every 30 seconds, and you can extrapolate all of that to kind of figure out how long it's going to take. Right. And you can get maybe you'll have a, a, a rough estimate, but you'll be pretty damn close in nailing a fixed cost building build. Right. With regard to software, I think we're talking about something totally different. It's, it's almost like saying we know we need something that may be a brick now, but it might be a tile tomorrow and it might be a bucket of paint the next day. Right. And those three things are wildly different in terms of complexity and cost, and we don't know what we're going to need until we need it, right? That's a very difficult sell, I think, to some people, right? But what you could do is, in in my opinion, to mitigate that sense of, oof, you don't commit to a, a final build with a final price. You commit to, well, let's just get started, right? And let's measure as we go. Let's understand what we need to build as we go, and you will be called to look at the building that we're building every sort of couple of days. And you can tell us, no, that's the wrong shade of green or make that a brick. And, you know, we'll move forward from there. And eventually we'll get to know how much this is going to cost. And you will know how much it's going to cost based on the information that we gather over the time that we're building your software. And to, to conflate the two analogies, but that's sort of <laughs> my opinion there. Potentially, you know, you so you sort of ease into it 
Hey, Jono, from a financial perspective, paying for two weeks versus paying for two years of a fixed cost build might be an easier pill to swallow, right? It's almost like pay for two weeks, let's measure, let's see where we are. Let's kind of reassess every two, three weeks. Yeah, no, for sure. I think also what, what makes it difficult with smaller clients is kind of being able to sell that, right? Like going into, we can't tell you what we're going to be able to deliver after your, this initial phase with your set amounts of budget you had in mind. But we can provide you something every week or every two weeks you'll have something worth shippable or something worth that you can utilize. The, the problem is with the smaller companies where the budget is quite minimum, if you say they need to wait about two or four weeks to actually be able to provide them an estimate how long something is going to take or give them an idea, then that's a big budget crunch for them. So those short, sharp projects is quite difficult to do that. Where with longer builds, where let's say there's like a massive refactor or a yeah, like a greenfields build that's going to take like at least a year. Those those decisions and those losses that you can make. So let's say after six weeks the new estimation to actually build that software is going to take three years or four years. Then it's quite easy for businesses to decide to actually not go down that route because they cut their losses, cool, move on. Where with smaller clients, it's a lot, you know, it's a harder swell to, uh, a pull to swallow. If I can maybe extend maybe Jonah's answer to your original question, Guy, with maybe the metaphor of that house and why, you know, how do we go about convincing people who are maybe initially hesitant to agile? I think what Jonah said there about every two weeks you have a deliverable. I think if we go with the house analogy, it's kind of like, you know, it, it sounds weird, but with every two weeks or whatever your cycle is, right, you're going to be able to live in it and use it and rent it out or whatever the equivalent is for having users on board or something, right? And I think that's a big incentive as well because it's not, okay, you can only get this when it's completely done and there's no chance for, for change or anything like that. I think that's why a lot of clients might go for it because then it is like what you said guy where cool just get started and let's just you know just start that and see where we go from there and on the fly we can change things and that can be scary because you don't know where the budget is going to go but i mean like like jono said agile is failing you if your percentages of your initial rough estimates is completely you know completely off obviously it's very difficult to estimate but it's good practice, at least in my experience and on our part, to try and give some type of indication, right? It's, it's ridiculous for me to think that someone will want to go into business with you if you just say, I don't know, it'll take us however long it takes us, and this is how much we charge every month, and we're just going to go ahead and, you know, there's no indication of two months or two years there. But I think it speaks more to your, your skill set or your approach to Agile if your estimate is, look, plus minus six months, and it's taking you... 12 there's something there's something off there right and it's a good segue now into sort of something that john has been working on in the background is 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 uh now i don't know how much you want to go into detail with john probably not too much but how we put clients at ease in terms of initial phase estimation right i know we do analysis across our projects and our clients and we come up with something but maybe you can tell us a bit more about that yeah, sure. So usually what we'll do is we'll engage, let's say, like a five-day or a 10-day analysis with the client to define that high-level backlog, what they're actually trying to achieve. And then sometimes if, if budget allows, we'll introduce some level of POC as well. 
So, I mean, Guy, yourself, and Harley, we've actually done POCs together, but we'll, we'll do that to ensure that our estimation is correct. Let's say after this 10 days, we'll have a backlog, we'll have a high level architecture, how we're gonna do the solution. We've got some level of confidence, what we're building is correct and how we're gonna build it is, is, is the right way of doing it. We'll then use uh, past project metrics to define how long that build can potentially take. And we'll provide the client a range. So let's say it's roughly 50 stories and it's gonna take with our average of the developer's output across the business, it's gonna take maybe 10 to 15 sprints or let's say five to eight months to actually deliver that piece of software. But we'll give you an update. Well, we can give you a daily update, but we'll probably be in a, a fortnightly update in terms of how we're progressing towards your, your end product and how long that is going to take. The value of, of POC, so POCs, if you, if you aren't aware, stands for proof of concept, and it's generally a very small microcosm of what the, the product is meant to be, with app, websites, system, whatever. And to take it back to what John has said about if you have someone coming over to your house to build something, why is it more fixed cost, right? And it's exactly like what Guy said, well, you can go, cool, on average, to do this thing, we have done this thing a hundred times before, and we can then look at the historical data and go, okay, cool, we know it's gonna take us plus minus this long. In my experience, and especially on the technical side, the thing about software is that, at least if you're like us and you try and get clients in a bunch of different sectors, you know, you keep it interesting and you're constantly learning yourself, you're gonna hit work that you're, you're not too sure about, or we haven't done something like that before. So if we think about auth, authentication, you know, nearly every application out there has it. We've done that in nearly every single project we've touched for the past five years. So cool, we can estimate pretty uh, efficiently and effectively how long it's gonna take us to build that. But then you have some new client that's in an area that you're not too sure about. And that's where Agile becomes super useful because it's very tough to then estimate that, right? It's like you've got a builder who's just really builds the foundation of the house, but now you ask them to do the roof in a specific way that they haven't done before. And they're like, okay, well, I can do that, but I haven't done that before. So it's gonna take some, some like time to figure that out. And that's why the POC is so valuable because in the POC, we're not going to recreate stuff we've done before. Like for authentication, if, we've, if we know that, why would we spend time proving that concept already? It's rather gonna tackle the things that we haven't touched before. And that's what John meant by gain confidence in that we can feel, okay, cool. It, it, going into this, we were terrified of that. We had no idea how that was gonna look. Now we spent a couple of days figuring that out and we have a much clearer picture of a, a potential implementation, how complex that could be, roughly how long it could take us. So I think it's just a little bit of extra you know, flavoring to the, the analogy of agile for a house in comparison to software. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and all of these things, these tools help us to get to gain that confidence in, in estimation. And invariably, we will be wrong, right? Just to put that out there. I don't think uh, any software company worth their salt would commit to an estimate and say, no, no, we're right. It's going to take six months. This is what's going to be involved. And this is what you're in for. Like, in, in again, not that I've got all the experience in the world, but the experience that I do have, those are always wrong. Those are always fudged 
or to put it bluntly, it's a lie, right? And you're lying to yourself and you're lying to your team and your dev team is probably giggling in the back of the room going, yeah, right, as if that's going to happen kind of thing, right? So it, it sort of leads into into another pitfall and that's sort of the lack of communication that 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 and, and transparency, right, around software development. And I can see how it happens because a software provider might want to maximize their revenue from a given client, right? So they, they tell the client what they want to hear. It's going to cost you, I don't know, $100 to build this piece of software. Not that that's a realistic number, but just to throw a number out there, it's going to cost $100 to build this piece of software. And it's going to take us six months to build it. That's great from a financial planner's perspective. They know what it's going to cost and how long it's going to take. But that software company is invariably going, right, it's actually going to cost them. $20, we've added on an additional $80, and we're probably going to get it done in three months. So guys, take your time, have an easy ride, get through this, right? Now, one thing that Agile does is it shines a light on that bullshit, right? To 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 put it bluntly, it it is a mechanism and it provides a window with a flashlight into the development process, right? And it is it is a common misconception that agile is a way for developers to hide and not commit to anything right but actually what it does is it gives i think customers a tool to have a look into that world and understand exactly what's going on there and without proper transparency and communication agile falls over john have you experienced anything where that's happened and and sort of how did how did how do you go about coaching transparency and communication in some of the teams that you look after? So yeah, usually what we'll do is guy in terms of implementing some level of transparency. So we mostly follow a the Scrum methodology across the majority of our projects, probably about ninety percent of them. And I mean there are certain Scrum events or ceremonies in there to ensure that it, there is some level of transparency. So we'll have sprint planning where the client can be part of it and they can actually they're able to see what the team is able to commit to within that given sprint. Uh, we'll have our daily scrum where the client can be involved if they want to, where to actually check what the goal is for that particular day. There's a sprint review for the client where they can check what the team was able to complete within that given given sprint. So this our case is usually two weeks. That, for me, those kind of three, four key events, that provides about 90% of the transparency and visibility required for the client. Sure, you can layer it with one or two other sessions to do a bit of, uh, like backlog refinement sessions or other meetings. A budget tracker or something. Budget like that. tracker, yeah. A couple of things that, that, that I'll do or we can do is like, just showing right from a backlog perspective, you're about 30% done with what is required to do your initial release. And from a budget perspective, you've utilized or spent about 25%. So you, there's a little, you're a little bit, of, from a dev perspective, you're a little bit ahead. Or maybe the budget tracker will say, actually, we've burned through 50% of your budget, but we've only completed 20% of your backlog. Then, cool. Then, you know, quite early on, like, listen, if we go with this trajectory, we're probably not going to be able to, to hit your target. So the client will have that window. Well, that, that's, a, that's a tough conversation to have, right? But if you've got the data to back it, I'm sure it makes it easier. You know, you know what makes a, a conversation tough is when you leave that conversation up until the very end where the budget is pretty much dry. Like, listen, we've utilized 95% of your budgets. We've only built 40% of what is required. So that is an awkward conversation. And that's a conversation that will probably take a couple of months to get there. However, if you've got like weekly or fortnightly catch up with your clients and you can actually keep track of how things are going, 
then it's a lot easier to explain the situation and for them to actually absorb what is happening. So they can do proper planning from a financial perspective, they can get more budget, they can, we can reduce scope or change scope to ensure that there is some alignment between the two. I think what we're touching on now is the, the idea of how it's short feedback and so iterative, right? And I mean, maybe the majority of our listeners are very familiar with Agile and they're just looking for a little bit of extra information, but I'm just going to play devil's advocate and pretend if you're first time listening and you're not quite sure what Agile is, to give an idea what Guy and John were saying about having that, that kind of the two-week check-in or the great metaphor Guy had of having the, the flashlight that allows you to kind of look in, it's kind of the equivalent of if you have a family friend or something who's incredibly overweight and they decide, okay, cool, I'm going to start eating right and I'm going to start working out or whatever. You see them once a week for coffee or something. You're not actually, you're getting that feedback and you're hearing about all of these things that they are doing and you kind of can keep them in check. And the inverse of that, if you don't see them for six months, you're like, oh my gosh, there's so much change. Like, look at you. And that's the, the danger of what Guy was outlining where if something is the $100 and it only takes you $20, but you say it'll take you six months. If I'm showing you every two weeks what I've done and you're like, oh man, all you did was change that button to move over there, you're gonna be like, okay, cool, what, what's happening? But you know, if it's over six months and I can show you this massive change and it's uh, you know, the whole application, but really it only took me a little amount of time, that's where Agile kind of holds you accountable because that anyone can look great if given that amount of time. But when it's a regular cadence, and the transparency is high and the communication is high. That's what Agile is promoting. And that's what the, the ability to shift and change comes in. And I think that's what I want to lean into the, the next kind of question that I have is maybe to, to, for both of you, what do we do when a client does want to completely pivot? Or Jono, it gets to the situation where we say, obviously we raised the flag a lot earlier than at 95% of your budget is gone. It, if we're in those scenarios, but what do we say to them to say, listen, either we, we aren't going to hit it within the expected time frame, or the inverse, they say to us, listen, actually, we want to scrap the past months of work and we want to rather pivot to do this. While we're catered for that, and you know, with the approach and the implementation of Agile, how do we go about actually like achieving that successfully? Yeah, so if we talk pivot, if the client has a really good reason why they need to pivot. Maybe it's a fundamental strategic change within the business that, that requires them to pivot, then yeah, we should do it. Like, so I don't see any issues with any pivots in do, actually building software. Like it, 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 it's the norm, it should happen. It shouldn't happen often. I mean, like if you like every second or third sprint, you changing priority or every three months, you changing priority because it was bad decision making internally within the business, then okay, that's a different conversation. But let's say there's really good reason to do that pivot. I'm, I'm all for it. Obviously, there is some challenges around that. I think everyone that's involved now, let's say they've not wasted a month of their time, but it, it, it can be a little bit demotivating if you now have to build something different than what was originally required. So I, 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 my opinion is I think a little bit, it's, it's a simple one, right? The point, of, the point of Agile and whatever methodology you use to support that is to embrace the change that is inevitably coming, right? So if, if you go into it and everybody's got the full understanding that we're doing Agile because we don't know what we're building and because 
we, things are going to change. That's why we're doing this, right? So if you if everybody involved, the business, the dev team, the product owners, the people that are holding the purse strings, if everybody is on board with that and understands that, then I think everybody's going to have a smooth time, right? Because the devs are going to embrace the change. It's like the customer is going to go, oh, cool. Thank you. The sprint demo was fantastic. I love that feature you built. But you know what? As a business, we've decided that we need to change that feature to actually work in this different way, right? Because it supports our business model. Yes, I think due diligence is necessary from a from a um, analysis perspective to assess whether that is a that decision was taken through data and research and it's really what the business needs. I think there's due to, that there's value in that. But assuming that that's been done, the the response should be awesome. Let's get on that. Let's reprioritize this uh, this next sprint. Let's refocus the effort there. You don't uh, lose anything in doing that. You only gain more knowledge into the system. You only you're only assisting your customer better being able to embrace that change quickly, right? So, I think uh, it's 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 a mindset shift, if that makes sense, right? You don't want to go into any sort of agile software development thinking, no, I'm going to kick back against change. You sort of go into it going, I expect change to happen. I love the fact that things are changing. It means my customer cares about what I'm building. And I'm going to make sure that our process is robust enough to um, receive that change and give the client what they need and what they value. And I think that's a key word here, what's valuable quickly and it's not for me as a dev team to decide that and to kick back against that it's it's the purely the customer who's going to know what their value is i 100 percent agree with you there guy that if you're not if you're not ready to embrace change then agile is definitely not the approach for you and i think look something i've struggled with a lot is that agile is great when you and maybe built on top of that the scrum approach of having those retrospectives and going like okay cool this is what we could be doing better as a team and that's kind of the small change but you're still going along the same path and i think the the key thing that i've struggled with is that you you take pride in your work right or at least hopefully you do and you're, you're passionate about your work and you maybe get if you're doing client work you get that little bit of sense of ownership over it right that like this is your baby in a capacity and while that's great because you you want what's best for it often clients can come in and say actually like we said the past month we need to we need to pivot and we need to alter alter everything i think that is the tough part and that is what guys outlining about that mind that, that mind shift because your goal is to provide value. Your goal is maybe not to design the system the best way that you think it should be or to make it look exactly how you, how what you think could be best. You can have influence and you can provide that feedback to the client, but ultimately if they want to shift, it is your role to provide as much value as possible. And that's something that I'm, you know, learning very very quickly and embracing that high level of change right not just like the the incremental small okay how can we be better as a team how can we deliver faster but okay cool the whole project is shifting in some form of capacity and embracing that and not being demotivated like john has said because as soon as you yourself as a team lead or anyone on your team gets demotivated that's when like velocity and stuff goes down as well so i think it's just that that mind shift to provide value whatever that value is Great. And then also you get in my, sorry to be like hogging the mic here, but in my experience, if you take pride in your work, you need to shift it to take that pride in not building the software, but building value for your clients. Because then you also get a, a shorter feedback loop, but every two weeks you're like, okay, cool. They love that feature that provided value to them. We can release it. That's great. Instead of the other approach, which actually speaks a bit more to waterfall. If you're only thinking about the system as a whole, you're only maybe going to be happy with the system when the system is complete, right? 
So it's kind of like adapting your mindset as well to the actual philosophical approach you have to software. Bit of a bit of a rant, but my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's a, it's a human thing. It's a human thing. We take pride in, as you say, we take pride in what we build. We have an ego about the things that we output. It's a creative, it's a creative industry. No matter what, no matter what anybody tells you, developing custom software is a creative game and you have creative types that are building it. They may be software developers and traditionally they're not really seen as creative individuals, but they are, they're designing software. They're implementing things in creative ways. They're solving problems that maybe have not been solved before. And when you're telling them that what they've built is wrong and they need to change something or not not to say that it's wrong or that it, that it's no longer valuable and they need to change it that is a oof okay i'm going to take this personally now because my design is not you know maybe not accepted and why right so that's an ego thing so i think i think as software developers on a more human level we need to embrace that as well we need to accept that it is not mine that I'm building. It is my clients that I'm building, right? And to sort of remove yourself as an ego from the equation. And that's a hard thing to do. And I think it takes careers to get to get that right. And, and we get it right in various levels. And you'll find it in mature software developers, the guys that go, oh, cool, we're throwing that feature away. Awesome. I get to delete code right? And I get to do it in a different way, maybe do it better than I that, and use the idea that I originally thought of and maybe give more value to the client in a more efficient way, use the learnings from previous change, right? So it's, it's, it's a concept that we call egoless software development. And it's a shift in, this is not my software, this is my client's software, and this is the team software, and together we will provide value. And if that value changes, so be it. Awesome. I'm not tying my identity to what I'm delivering. Yeah. Yeah, the, it, it's tricky, right? Because I think it's having that mindset of, for me, like the mind, the mindset of a software developer or, or any team member on a team should be providing value to the end customer. I think a lot of people like BAs, QAs, QAs and devs fall into the trap of just focusing on their piece of work. Cool, I've created this awesome design and we're going to build it. And then cool, the, the, the person actually doesn't care about if the end user uses it or not. It doesn't matter because they built this awesome piece of functionality or this awesome, awesome page. But I think the focus needs to be shifted fully towards the end client or the end user who's actually going to use the system. Like your, the first kind of like checklist in terms of value should be, is, my, is the end user actually using this piece of software and is it making their lives easier or more enjoyable? If it doesn't, anything else doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good the code quality was. It doesn't mean how visually appeasing it is. It, it doesn't matter. As soon as that the first checklist falls off, you've built a piece of redundant uh, software. Exactly. That, to me, in my personal software development experience, the more demotivating aspects of my career has been when the software is not used that the client has asked us to build, right? I think that's that's key. And you could argue that is a failure of the development team at the time, right? Uh, the, when I say the development team, I mean all players involved, not the actual people, not just the people implementing the code, but also the analysts designing the code that needs to be built and the product owners on the client side telling us what they perceive to be value, right? So somewhere along the chain there, something fell off, right? And the software that came out the end clearly isn't valuable because it's not being used. And the sad reality is a lot of software doesn't get used and, and that's demotivating. So I think... For me and, and the, for us, I think the challenge is making sure that we do everything we can to assist our customers to 
to suck the value out of what they're asking for, right? To make sure that they are getting something valuable that they can use. And I think getting it into users' hands is part of the problem, right? A lot of people don't do that. So they leave it for the product owner and the, maybe the CEO looks at the software while it's being built and they don't actually put it in the, their end users' hands. And what they think is valuable is actually not what their users may think is valuable. And I think, um, Jono, you've done quite a lot of effort in, in UAT education or user acceptance testing, right? And, and feedback loops around that. And that's a totally different ballgame. We can go into that in maybe a different podcast. Yeah, the, the, the change, yeah, like let's, if we want a term for it, it's, it's called change management. So yeah, basically getting the software now in the end user's hands. Yeah, again, different, different conversation. All I would just say is like, just ensure that you've got a good cadence on UAT releases and UAT feedback cycles and not just uh, at the end. Yeah, so, so UAT and change management alone is a whole separate podcast. And I think... The three of us have these conversations fairly frequently, so it's nice to actually just be turning the mics on and recording this. But we do need to kind of wrap up. So before we go, I just want to pose one last question, and that would be what is your advice to someone that is either wanting to implement or is struggling with implementing Agile? You know, keep it to however blanket term or as specific as you want. Um, I'm happy to start. And for me, I would say it's be prepared that Agile is tricky. I think we've said the word tricky a couple of different times in this podcast, and that's because it is. Agile is, it's the, the harder alternative, in my opinion. It takes more time to implement. It takes more time in terms of potential, maybe like if you go down to specific ceremonies, and you think about it a lot more. And that's the point, because it is promoting change, and it's promoting frequent change, but it's promoting that kind of generally that 1% change, right? We're doing something a little bit every day is going to make you better overall at the end of the day instead of trying to do a massive shift afterwards. And that's tough because that's, you know, speaks to human nature again. I always liken this agile approach to, to human nature. And I think that's the part that people aren't prepared for, or that they think, you know, it's going to be as easy as waterfall that we said, okay, cool, these are the deliverables at six weeks, 12 weeks, 18 weeks type of thing. And cool, let's look, let's check in a week before that deliverable and see where we're at. It's not like that. It's it's a daily thing where you're measuring yourself, you're measuring your team, you're checking in with the clients. And I think if you can wrap your head around that and you can be prepared for the battle that's about to ensue, then you'll be that much better off for it, regardless of how you intend to implement it. I think that's a good blanket approach to have. Right. So my my advice would be start small. So if you're an organization that's not done agile, right, I would say don't don't try and implement agile company wide and enforce it upon your development teams or your your business units right i would say start small grab one team run agile for a while in that team and get out of their way right and and do it properly get a scrum master get someone that knows what they're doing pick a methodology that's worked that's worked right and test each methodology to see which fits for your team right don't prescribe anything i'd say take on the take on the philosophy of agile at a small scale one team and let that team figure out which methodology works for them right and build upon that and get regular feedback i the, i think where you might fall short is trying too much too quickly and imposing process because that's i think where individuals might kick back a bit Jono? yeah just to add what you just said guy it's it's yes it's starting small but it's also starting at the right place right it's not starting as a development team and trying to work your way up 
This should start from 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 a exec team. It should start from the C level and work its way down. I think one of the yeah, one of the, some of the Scrum gurus they always said like the the biggest mistake they made was actually introducing Scrum the focus point or the audience to be the development team, and not the actual business. So, yeah. So I would say again, start small and try and start from the top of the business. Work as a business decide to go down that journey. And if you are a business and you've got a small team or multiple teams, trial it on a team. Trial it for maybe a sprint or two, or if you don't know what a sprint is, let's say like a month or two. Then I don't want to say compare the two teams with each other because you shouldn't do that for various reasons, but you will get a sense in terms of which team will provide the most value and who's providing the most frequent value. And then you can decide as a business if you want to go down that journey. All right. And, and a way to measure might also be looking at individual happiness on the team, right? So uh, what we've found, at least in, at least from my perspective, is that agile teams following some methodology that supports it are happier dev teams. They have less stress. They have a clearer goal. They have a much better, healthier approach to their profession anyway maybe anecdotal but that's sort of what i've seen and yeah and to your point jonah just to just to re-emphasize what i said it needs to be a st strategic decision so if if as a business or you're a cto or a cio or a ceo and you've decided that you would like to embrace agile in your organization don't do the change as a blanket start small and with that thanks guy and jonathan cool. for this this round table these are always a lot of fun if you're a a company out there trying to implement Agile and you want any sort of advice or something, reach out to us. We've been doing it for years if you, you haven't pieced together. If you're a client and you're wanting to explore the world of Agile, you can find us, you know, the Agile CTO or Hayfilly Software. Myself, Guy and Jonathan are all very active on LinkedIn if you want to reach out to us. Guy, Jonathan, any closing remarks from your side? No, I think it's great that we, we, we've got this finally done on some recording. I mean, we have these discussions, as you said, Harley, all the time internally, and it's just great to have a platform now to discuss these things. So it's been really fun for me. Thanks, Jono. Yeah, yeah, it was really fun for me. Yeah, thanks, guys. I was a little bit anxious doing this recording. Um, I was pro probably still quite anxious for the first half. It's only now where I'm starting to relax, but uh, look at the time. So yeah. <laughs> we could probably go on for another two hours, you know, but we've got to get through the workday. Cool. Thanks, Jono. Thanks, Holly. At Hayfully Software, we build dev teams that deliver and fix those that don't. Dev teams fail to deliver all the time for countless reasons, from lack of skills to barriers and culture, from politics to process, from silos to egos. Whatever the reason, it's time they deliver. This is why we exist. From enterprise to startups, we craft high-performance dev teams focused on end-to-end -end delivery. Visit Hayfully Software at OutsourceHS.com to learn more. You've been listening to The Agile CTO. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to leave a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.